who is the church sent to reach? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I am Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, today we are back in Acts, which is exciting. Our zigzag continues. Yes, I was about to, to bring that up, your preferred term, our zigzag. That's right, that's right. And uh, we are looking at um, one of these many key moments in the life of the early church. Uh, we have looked at how the church started in Jerusalem and how it slowly started to expand out and farther out, um, but still was primarily kept within the confines, with rare exception, um, within the confines of Jewish believers. And so people who yeah. were were who were Jews coming to recognize that Christ was was and is the Messiah. But today we're going to see some Yeah, the fulfill, the fulfillment of of the Old yes. Testament. So yeah, and we've seen as you said it's been largely but not solely because we've seen foreshadowing of the gospel going to all the peoples, all the ethnos um, with Philip primarily with his evangelism of an Ethiopian and of a Samarit- or Samaritans. Mm-hmm. So, but today this continues in Acts 10 and 11, this major transition toward a more forward Gentile emphasis, which of course we know would flip. The, the church would in time become primarily Gentile, not Jewish. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 11, verses uh, 1 through 18 today. And um, so before we do, how about you set up a little bit of additional context for this? Yeah, let me just kind of unpack what I just shared briefly just to make sure it's clear. So when you read Acts chapter 11, it's going to sound very familiar because it is almost verbatim a repeat of Acts chapter 10. Um, It's a summary. Peter is summarizing what happened between him and Cornelius, this Gentile conversion. Again, this this beginning, this momentous event, this beginning of a more intentional push in toward uh, the Gentiles for believing in Christ. And so what is happening here is Peter is reporting back to the church leaders in Jerusalem what has happened. And there's some pushback from some within the circumcision party, as we're going to read about in a minute. But this is why it's almost verbatim. He's, re, he, he's retelling the story. So as you're reading, if you're not paying attention, you read chapter 10, drift into 11, and you think, did I turn the page over or backwards or something? Am I reading the same thing? Well, you kind of are. But we're going to talk about some of the questions. Why does it basically repeat itself? We'll get to that yeah. in time. All right. So let's, uh, let's kick it off the way we always do, which is um, when we have a passage that is short enough to read. Let's read that. So I'm going to get started there, and then we will jump into some questions that we should be asking. All right. So Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 1. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began to explain to them step by step. I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. And I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now this happened three times, and everything was drawn up against, uh, drawn up again into heaven. Now this happened three times, and everything was drawn up again into heaven. And that very moment, or at that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me and went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angels standing in his house saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who's also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, and just as he, just as he had uh, on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? And when they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. All right, so there is a ton there, but what are some questions that we should be asking about this passage? Yeah, let, let's deal first with the one that I've, I've broached already and answer it and then move, move forward. What, why is the content here repeated almost word for word in back-to-back chapters? <clears throat> and I think the starting point to understand this is that Scripture, everything in Scripture is there for a reason. There's no filler. Um, I often tell people it's not like God was a college student needing to pad his paper to get it up to a minimum word count and just started throwing things in. No, everything is there for a reason. And so it's repeated here for a reason. And I think one of the things this does is it reminds us of the importance of this moment for the church. That, again, as we're reading Scripture, we have to be honest with ourselves and one another we can read too quickly over things at times. We Sometimes something doesn't strike us as it should. And this is a way I think the Holy Spirit is, is helping us not do that here, of not just reading past this, oh, that was an interesting vision and animals and eating and, hey, that makes me, you know, remember, I, I haven't had lunch. Let me go get lunch. And it's kind of out of, out of our minds. This is, I think, the Holy Spirit's way of saying, wait a minute, did you... Did you pay attention to what happened here? This is, this is crucial for the history of the church. But the other reason I think it's repeated here is because we see some really helpful guidance in how to handle issues within the church. That notice these, there was concern about the report, and Peter didn't just dismiss that, those concerns. He, he didn't play the position card, don't you know who I am? Um, he walked them through what happened in a respectful way, it seems. And so I wonder if this is also a way that God is helping us understand how do we deal with situations like this when somebody might challenge something that's happened or question something um, or even disagree, as we see elsewhere in Acts. Uh, the Jerusalem Council, we're going we're gonna to encounter that. How do, we, how do we deal with this in a, in a God-honoring, loving way? And seeing Peter 
impulsive Peter patiently walking them through what happened, I think is really helpful. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I'm really glad that you, that you've brought up this point that, that whenever we see something duplicated in scripture, when we see it a second, second, third, fourth, fifth time, whenever there's repetition, we should really pay close attention to that. That's God's way of saying, pay attention. Look at what I'm doing here. And, you know, you see this with, you know, his, with the I am statements, you see it with the yeah. I will statements that he makes to, to Abram slash Abraham. You see it in multiple places throughout scripture, including here. So this is a, a bit of a doubling down, um, down for emphasis that's happening. Yeah. Um, also, I got to say, I'm a little disappointed, uh, speaking of filler, I'm a little disappointed that you did not take the opportunity that was afforded to you to say that nothing there that in scripture there it's all killer no filter or no filler well you couldn't even get it out then so i wouldn't even try well you know i I have no filter so it's fine (laughs) (laughs) you're a little off kilter so you have no that's true that's true um (laughs) look i'm getting over a cold so um that's uh that's my excuse anyway There you All go. right, so uh, moving back on track, uh, one of the uh, the one of the next things that we should be asking about this is is what can we learn from Peter's telling of events? Um, and by this, what I don't mean is 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 necessarily the content, although there although we should be learning from the content too. I think the first place though is that we have to have to look at the retelling of it himself first. He was highly accurate. I mean. The fact that what he said matches almost perfectly with what happened in chapter 10, that's very telling. He knew that this was really important, and he wanted to communicate this in as clear a way as possible. He didn't exaggerate. He didn't. Um, he he didn't turn himself into a great hero in the story. Um, if anything, he actually showed once again his tendency to. Uh, tendency to be a little bit of a knucklehead (laughs) um but and that but i mean that's that's the thing right is is that's that's a good sign of an accurate storyteller is they're not making themselves the hero now the second the second thing is 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 speaks into that which is is that we see his humility in this and that's something that you know, we joke about him being kind of a knucklehead, but that was that was something that was a was a great progression for him. Um, he tended yeah. to be a bit of a hothead, tended to be a little bit proud, and you see him demonstrating this humility that 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 God is birthing in him um, through the Holy Spirit's presence in his life and through his his greater understanding of the gospel. And so he shared that he was struggling in this process that he that he that God had to tell him three times. In, to actually do this before he did. And he didn't gloss over his slowness to understand. Again, he didn't embellish his role in this. And then finally, that he focused on the goodness of God rather than himself. That's, that's the most critical thing of all. When we are telling, when we are talking about anything that we experience, ultimately, our goal should be to be talking about how good God is in that, not in what I did or you did or this person over here did or what we experienced, but 
you know, and and you know, not in a um, f- a way that feels very false or forced, but genuinely to be able to say, "Man, look how good God is that this happened." Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I I'm glad that you point out that the honesty and transparency of Peter here in revealing his his slowness to grasp what was going on affirms the account. Just it's the same thinking in the gospels themselves. When you look, the writers of the gospels do not portray themselves in the in the best light. Mm-hmm. And that's further evidence that they are reliable because if you're making up the story, human nature is to put ourselves in the best light. And we would read a much different gospel from um, say Matthew, for example, he would have positioned himself much better off than, than he did. He was clueless with the others at times. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, it, kind of in light of that, then the next question I have as I look at this is, what was it wise of Peter to recognize in this uh, and during this in- account? And we see it in verse 17. He, he says, wait a minute, I, I had to accept this so I wouldn't hinder God. Now, what did he mean by that? He understood he could do something to hinder God. We know what that does not mean. It does not mean that God's plans were, were dependent on Peter. Uh, God is sovereign. He, he does not depend on us. He's not wringing his hands, hoping Peter did what was he needed him to do, or else his, God's plans would fall apart. That's not what is meant here. Rather, what we see here is Peter recognized he did not want to go against what God was doing. God would do what he would do however he wanted. Peter recognized, wait a minute, I can either understand what is happening here and join in God's plans and and be part of what he's doing and not only be useful, but also reap the benefit of that, the joy of being obedient, the joy of seeing God work, or I can hinder what's going on. I can be a resistor and God will work around Mm -hmm. me. Again, he doesn't need me, but then what will happen is I will miss out. I will miss out on obedience. I'll miss out on the joy. And so Peter recognized he wanted to be part of what's going on. And as we get to discipleship in, in a few minutes, that, that's really important for us to understand of when we recognize what God's doing, we have this similar choice. Are we going to hinder what God is doing? Are we going to miss out on it? Or will we join in and follow what God is, is doing yeah. in us and around yeah. us? Um, another another thing that we can that we can and can and should be asking is is really what can we learn from the response of those who heard Peter, and you know again if we were re- if we were telling this story, how would we be inclined to to see people to to say how people respond? Well, typically, you're going to want to tell it as. Everyone immediately rejoiced, and they got it, and they understood, and they were all thrilled about it. But that's not what happens here. Instead, we see them being silent. And that's important because their silence, A, again, continues to verify the the authenticity of, of the account, but two, it, it also tells us that they needed time to process they needed time to consider what Peter had said. And then after they had considered it, after they had, um, after they had thought through this carefully in light of what they knew of what, uh, what 
Jesus had taught and what they knew of what God had said through throughout the throughout the scriptures that they had to that point. Then they were able to truly recognize it for what it was and glorify God because of what he was doing. And that's really important for us to remember because too often we don't give people processing time. I mean, think about how we think about how we approach evangelism, for example. We, you know, we and particularly how we present how to share the gospel with people. We we will often set things up as a as a formula and say okay so you you go and you share the gospel with whatever whatever method you want to use and then you then you ask for a response but it doesn't work that way it almost never works that way what hap- what people people need time to consider what they're hearing even yeah. in even in an instance like that and that doesn't discount the the fact that God can and do whatever he wants in all of the in all of those things but often it's better for people to take time to consider often when someone jumps uh, particularly when we're in this context of sharing the gospel and faith in Jesus if someone is jumping in and saying yes i'm in like right away honestly i'm kind of worried about that yeah because that's a that's a very emotional and an emotive reaction and it may be very genuine but but it might not exactly. be exactly and I, I aaron what what you're broaching i think is important to understand i think there are two potential motivators. One is a little bit more positive, one's a little bit more negative. The positive motivator is somebody just has, they, they care for somebody, they want them to be mm-hmm. saved. They want them to trust in Jesus, and so they push. The negative is sometimes we just want credit for saying we were used to lead somebody to Christ. Yes. And so you push for a response so you can say, oh, you know, and, and you may not be that crass to say it. It may even be buried kind of down in your, mm-hmm. your motivation, but it could be there. So sometimes we push too hard, and as you're saying, it, it, we just need to respect that person, and we need to trust God's sovereignty. Yeah. And a key, a key thing for us all to remember, too, is, is just think about how long it was before you actually genuinely yeah. responded to the gospel, before you could really say, you know what, I know I believed. Um, for me, even as an, even as an, adult, an adult convert... I know I heard the gospel before I before I responded to it. Cuz remember, I was reading the like I was reading the Bible with very impure motives to make fun of a Christian friend, and so I read the gospel. <laughs> like I read it myself and I did not respond to it right away. I heard it from yeah. other people in um you know in an evangelism, you know, night like get together dinner discussion group thing and I did not respond to it I slept through most of it but <laughs> um, but you know those are the things that the, those are the things it's like it doesn't happen all at once and there is this because so much of our lives in the um, so much of how we experience Christianity in Western cultures, and particularly in the United States, is influenced by our um, orientation toward immediate results and success yeah. orientation and things like this. 
we um we don't we we forget that we're a part of how God may be bringing someone to faith. That there are other people involved. There are other people who sow seeds, other yeah. people who water, and other people who see the fruit. There, there's been an, an analogy used, and I don't know if it's somebody in particular. If it is, I don't have any idea who it is, or just in general. But the uh, analogy of a spider web that, you know, when, you, when a spider's building a web, it takes that spider many different strands to form a web that catches something. Mm-hmm. It's not the first strand. And evangelism can be like that, where we don't know, are we, are we laying down the first strand of that web? Or maybe God is using us to put the last one, and that person would be ready. We don't know, but no matter what, we're, we're part of something. And I think, you know, let's be clear, and so nobody mishears us, because we are the king of caveats. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not saying that somebody could trust in Christ sincerely very quickly, and we are not saying that we should not give them the opportunity. So don't mishear us of saying, you know, share the gospel and don't lead that person to understand they have to trust in Christ. They have a decision to make. By all means, include that, but don't push for it. Um, and, and I think... Again, if, if we have that attitude, as, as I see Peter here, he's respecting these people. He's letting them chew on what he mm-hmm. shared. And that's, that's a matter of respecting them. And again, it's a matter of trusting Absolutely. God. And if we do that, I think we'll see more fruitful evangelism and more evangelism that we can we feel better about having a higher degree of confidence, never absolute, but higher degree of confidence that if a person does trust in Christ that it, it's more meaningful. It's, it's more likely to be genuine. Totally. And that's, that's worth yeah. it. Well, and, and sharing the gospel too, really. I mean, we can't forget that part of sharing the gospel is, is telling people that there is a, there is a response that's required to it. We are called to believe <laughs> and we can't be saved unless we believe and we can't be welcomed into, into Christ's family as his, as his brothers and sisters without that without saying yeah. i believe this yes so on that note how about you bring us home with some guidance yeah. from a discipleship perspective well, i mean we've already lapsed into it of course as we we tend to do it's so hard to parse these without <laughs> bringing them into overlapping um but just to kind of hit on some things that we've already talked about a little bit um first of all again this is a reminder uh, that the gospel is for all people so as we're talking about evangelism strategies and, and not pushing, let's take a step back and remember we should be sharing the gospel with everybody and anybody. Um, whoever God impresses upon us to share, and as I read Scripture, basically I'm seeing God's telling us if there's a person and he or she's breathing, then share the gospel with them in appropriate ways. So we should not be restricting that just to certain peoples, certain people groups, or uh, again, think of ethnicities, think of socioeconomics, think of... Uh, nationalities, whatever the case may be, no way we like to parse people should hinder us from sharing the gospel. It's for all people to hear and have the opportunity to trust in Christ. And as we've talked about, this is another reminder of our need um, to help people process and give time, not only in in trusting in, in the gospel, but growing. As disciples, Peter needed it. God was patient with Peter 
helping him to see God was doing something from our perspective, which is new. Um, and so Peter needed time. These the, Those who are hearing your report need time. And so so will we, so will the people we're trusting or that we're discipling, they will need it as well. So we just see uh, this, this passage is reminding us of being faithful, another great tip there from, from Peter, but also be patient and, uh, and don't rush these things. Give the, give the fruit time to bloom. Uh, I'm not a farmer. I, I don't pretend to be a farmer, but I understand that sometimes you can, you can be over anxious to pick fruit or vegetables and it's edible, but it's not as good as you just give it more time and it comes to ripeness and then it's much better. I think sometimes we have to remember that in discipleship, in evangelism, that sometimes it's better to be patient and wait. And then when the right time comes and God produces that fruit, it's that much more beautiful. Man, that is a good note to end on. So thanks for for discussing this. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 